Welcome to the Attractions Group Podcast, episode number 27. I'm Don Helbig alongside Ryan Sir. Uh, be sure to follow us on our channels, YouTube, uh, the podcast apps, your favorite podcast apps, and also follow us on Twitter. It is attractions underscore GRP. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing awesome. How are you doing? Doing all right. You know, it's hard to believe that as we record here, we're already in the middle of January. Yeah, absolutely. Middle of, dude, time flies so much. Don, this is going to be a weird segue, but do you remember when you first met me? Like in 2005 or six? So that I was do. 2005 or six. So I was 24 years old. Okay. Next Wednesday, I turned 40. How do you feel about that? All right. Because I don't feel great about well, it. Well, you know what? Let me put it this way to you 40 is going to be a tough decade because that's when things start hitting you a little bit right uh but you know once you get uh, you know past 45 or whatever it's just a number and it doesn't matter anymore i mean for me my hardest time was when i hit 30 yeah 30 30 was kind of rough but not necessarily 40 but like 30 was like oh wow you know I, i'm not uh you know i'm not considered you know some some young person anymore now you're kind of an adult you're getting close to the middle age and those kind of things right so, um, i wouldn't put any I wouldn't worry about it. It's just a number, Ryan, you know, and, it, and it's really just how you feel, you know, and, and you're as young as you want to feel. And as long as you stay active, you know, it, it's just a number with age. I agree. And honestly, I, I do have the advantage of, you know, uh, a lot of people see me and they find out I'm 39. Like, oh, my God, I thought you were like 29, 30, maybe at the most. So I look young for those of you who are not watching on YouTube, even though you probably should be. Um, That's why I keep my head shaved because it looks younger. Uh, at the Bengals game the other day, a group that I was with, they were asking, uh, you know, everybody's giving out their age and everything. When I kind of shared mine with them, they were all like, you gotta be kidding me. And they all had me like 10, 12 years younger, which made me feel really good. That means you win. Yeah, exactly. Age is just a number, but you know what? So is 21. And that's won me a lot of money in the past. And there's going to be advantages for you coming up. You're going to be able to get those discounts at places like Denny's and Perkins and Bob Evans and all that. So you're going to love it as you get older. I, I, yeah, I understand that. But of course, you know, as soon as I start getting up closer to what is it? 65 where you get the discount at Denny's, they close the one near King's Dominion. So I, you know, so I guess like there's no reason to get older anymore. Don, what are we talking about today? (laughs) Well, Ryan, it's the busy season for a lot of seasonal parks throughout uh, the country, um, not because the parks are open, but it's the hiring season. And depending on on the park, you know, there's going to be maybe hundreds of openings to thousands of openings. So now is a time that the, they're preparing for the for the upcoming season that opens in the spring and they're looking to fill all of these different positions. Yeah, the number is always staggering. Um, I always see the press releases of Kings Island's looking to fill 6,000 positions. It's like, I don't know. I don't think I've passed 6,000 people in the last year. I uh, think you hire all those people. And by you, I mean every park, you know? Cause yeah, you- I mean, it's, it's, it's substantial and what you need. And today, you know, with the way, you know, that, uh, you know, the high school and the college students and that are, they want to be able to take like summer vacations and do those kind of things or yeah. have some time off to do things with their friends. Uh, so you need a deeper pool of, of associates. And, uh, you know, so like I said, it's anywhere from, you know, into the hundreds, into the thousands uh, that parks need all throughout the country. So, uh, you know, if you're interested in 
and working in the industry, now's the time uh, to get on, on the websites of the parks in your area, see what opportunities are available. And we're not just talking for high school and, and college students, but also maybe you're, you're an adult that wants to supplement your income, you're a retiree, uh, but go on those websites, look at what's available. There's sure to be a job that interests you mm -hmm. if you have the time. You know, if you need a seasonal job or you just want to supplement, there's going to be a job for you. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of it is, um, you know, different personalities have different jobs because this is going to, you want to make it a fun job pretty much no matter what. Um, so if you're like outgoing and, and stuff and you just really enjoy people and especially if you're passionate in the industry, I mean, you could always work in rides. Um, I, the thing that I, that, uh, at least Cedar Fair does that I would do if I worked there is the park ambassador. Uh, that's, I think that's really cool where you're just knowledgeable about the park. You walk around, you help people out, you know, Hey, you're having a bad day. Let's make it better that, you know, that sort of thing. I think that's really cool. I know that you've got to like earn your way into it. Um, but that's, that's something that like, if I could choose like just some random seasonal thing, that, uh, you know, within operations or, or whatever department it's under, that's, that's probably what I would do. Um, but also, you know, there's a lot of stuff where, um, like there's like, I know, you know, a lot of parks are cashless, but a lot of parks have money rooms and stuff too, where mm -hmm. if you just want to count money all day, I used to work for a bank and do that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you're a numbers person, you know, financial background and that, I mean, you go on to these websites, you look at the jobs. I mean, it relates to basically any field that's out there. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, so, you know, we're, a lot of people, you know, when we talk about opportunities and stuff, and you and I have had this discussion, you know, obviously off camera, but, um, a large number of the full-time staff uh, started out as seasonal. Um, you didn't do that route. You took a different route, but a lot of do. So, you know, top of your head, in your experience, what percentage of full-time employees, and we're talking about management level, not like year-round ride ops, but like career employees started as seasonal. What percentage would you pin that out if you had to? I would say you're going to be over 70%, um, you know, particularly when you look at a lot of the, the, um, different departments that there are and that that skill set can really only be acquired by working in the industry. Um, you know, so that's going to drive that number up a little bit. I would say about, you know, across the board, you know, we're talking about coast to coast, east, west, north, south, all that. You're looking at about 70% of, of uh, parks full-time staff would have started out seasonally. So, you know, in, in the scheme of, you know, being seasonal, a lot of people start, uh, you know, as ride ops or sweeping the the midways or whatever, and then work their way up into marketing, finance, and so on. What are some of the skills that being a like a seasonal employee? Uh, what what does that bring to the table that that managers and directors are looking for when hiring full time staff? Well, I think it's what you're going to learn. You know, being out in the park and that. Um, you know, I, I think there's you know basically three essential skills uh, that that you have to have. Uh, that you're going to be taught uh, and developed while you're working seasonally that would help you in those full-time roles that you're going to need in those full-time kind of roles. Um, that would be communication skills, very important, uh, interpersonal skills. And you also have to develop a work ethic. Uh, this is not an industry where uh, you can come in one day and just say, I don't feel like it. I mean, you have to be ready to go. You have to bring your A game, you know, every day, be the best that you can be every day. And I think that's the, you know, what you would learn in those seasonal positions is, is how to put all of that together. And, um, you know, that becomes part of who you are and that would help you as you move on to those full-time jobs. Yeah, I agree. And, and we've discussed this in a previous podcast, but I think that, uh, if I was like a director of communications and I was looking for a PR person, for example, um, I, I 
would may lean towards maybe like a rides person or foods person or something, because like we've discussed before, if an, if a guest comes up to you and they ask you a question, you're speaking on behalf of the company for that moment. And if you typically have positive feedback um, and well, you can handle things like that, especially, I think that that kind of opens a, a very large door for the fact that you may be able to do it on a grander scale. Would you agree with that? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, uh, there are certain jobs, it seems like that, you know, people have to be seasonal in order to get, but so for example, you're not going to get hired, you know, you finish college with a degree in business operations, then you get hired as the rides manager. It just doesn't happen. You have to ascend the ranks. What are some positions, uh, when the company that you know, you do definitely need to, to have worked up in and what are some of the ones that you, you often see externally ju just to make sure that we make the separation? Well, let's start externally. I mean, we'll look at myself, um, you know, communications, PR jobs, social media jobs, uh, if you're in human resources, uh, you know, maybe in food and beverage, you know, having worked in the restaurant industry, those things will, you know, translate pretty well. Um, you know, if you're not a mechanic, you know, you can come and work at a park and be in the maintenance department, those kind of things, they all translate very well uh, to this industry. But for me, it's operations, you know, anything in that operations department, you almost have to, have, you know, you really do have to have been um, trained in that area to, to be able to work your way up and become like a, a director of operations, manager of operations, VP of operations. Uh, there's so much involved. There's so much to learn uh, that you can't come from really any other industry and just start at one of those kind of positions. Uh, you know, just, you know, I look at myself again in times when, you know, I've gone out in the park and I have, you know, helped out and worked a ride or something. It seems pretty simple, but it's not. There's so much involved that you have to know and understand. Uh, so for me, operations is the one area that, uh, you know, you really, really gotta, um, gotta work, you know, work your way up seasonally and uh, into those upper positions. You're just not gonna come off the street and walk into that. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. Operations definitely comes to mind, specifically rides. Um, the only exception would be if you went from one chain to another, one park to another. Right. Obviously, that's not necessarily straight that's vertical. That's different on that. Right. Um, but my, my thought, you know, and I'm mentally creating this list of uh, positions somebody could move into in the theme park industry that were not seasonal. Um, I think that marketing is possible. Uh, because that, yeah, I mean, it all translates. You know, it's all right. Uh, the one thing that really comes into play, though, is. In this industry, you know, you are open weekends, you are right. open uh, holidays, and that's not always going to be the case if you're working for some other brand as a marketing person, as a communications person. It's not going to necessarily be that 24-7, 365 at times. So, um, but it does translate. I mean, it, it, marketing's marketing, you know, PR is PR, social media is social media. Um, you know, you just find a way to make it work for wherever you are in those things. Um but other thing, like we talk about operations, you know, you have to have grown up with that. You know what I mean by that? Right. That's your, one of your jobs. You start out at 16, 17 or whatever age you learn it from the ground floor up. Then you're ready to take on those jobs. You just can't come from the outside and, and do that. And operations is not just rides. We're talking about everything, you know, that you're overseeing the whole park. You're talking about entertainment. You're talking about special, all that kind of thing. You have to, to really 
really um, put in the time and learn it. I agree. Um, I would say entertainment, uh, you could probably splice out a little bit, though. Uh, if you're a tech guy, then if you do it for Cirque du Soleil, you could probably come do it at a park, uh, you know, and things oh, like yeah. that. But you're right. You know, as far as like, um, you know, the development and stuff and actually uh, even like casting, I imagine it's different when it's six days a week, five shows than it is for, you know, a, a long weekend or something. Um, right. But you could probably also like, uh, like security typically probably works their way up, but that's something that is relatively universal. Just, um, the basic skills of it are yes. Um, but it's, again, it's a totally different environment in the, in the amusement theme park industry than it would be if you were, uh, doing security at something else that wasn't, uh, you know, uh, where there's thousands and thousands of people coming in every day. Right. And a lot of it's probably like pecking order too. Like with foods, for example, you could theoretically say, you know, if you're the general manager of a Wendy's, you could probably handle it here. But at the same time, you know, if a lot of people are ascending internally, um, there probably aren't going to be a lot of opportunities for an outsider. Like if uh, a, f a manager has five area managers under them, they probably have one person that's ready to replace them in an instance of attrition. So that that could affect opportunities, too. Um you know, so like, you know, moving on, you know, when we're talking about seasonal jobs and stuff, and, and uh, if you guys haven't figured it out, we're, we're kind of speaking to those that are, you know, between the, probably between the ages of 16 and 22 that want to get into the industry and they don't see maybe the points in coming to work seasonally. Um, and what we're trying to get across is that that's where the opportunity is. Um, but um, when somebody looks at positions, rides, food, security, stuff like that. Um, but ultimately they want to work in finance. What kind of advice would you, would you give them? Well, I think, I mean, in terms of, you know, maybe not right off the bat being able to get to where they want to go. I mean, you're not always going to be able to start that way, you know, in the position that you want, but it is good to learn other areas of the business. Um, you know, other parts of operations, it makes you more, uh, well-rounded, uh, you know, more informed about the industry, what's all involved with it. So uh, if a job becomes available and it's not what you want to do, I would still take it uh, if you want, if you're interested in getting into the industry and just see where it goes uh, from there. You know, ultimately it may lead to where you want to go, but it also may become the thing you want to do. Uh, you know, sometimes people put up the roadblocks, they don't want to do it, you know, but try it and see if you like it. And oftentimes, you know, we found that that was not their first, second or even third choice. Uh, but they've been doing it now for 20 years full times, you know, 30 years full time, uh, just because they got into it, they liked it, they learned it, and they grew with it. So I would just say that, um, you know, take what's available, uh, expand your skill set, and just see where it takes you. Right. You know, and, and just like another little bit of advice, let me let me get a little anecdotal here outside of the industry. So uh, my girlfriend is uh, on the brink of being a dietitian. Um, so a dietitian obviously is somebody who works in a hospital that creates meal plans for people, especially people with special needs and, and so on, um, special dietary needs that is. So she, she graduated college and there's a lot of steps to becoming a dietitian. You know, you have to do an internship where you got to have letters of recommendation. You have to be signed off on this and that, and you have to, all sorts of stuff. All right. So she starts looking for a position. She was actually in the, the attractions industry, um, and, uh, she got offered this position, basically working in food service for one of the local hospitals. And she's like, I don't know if I should do it because I don't know if it helps my career and stuff. And I was like, look, 
you're going to face every single person that works in that hospital. So when it comes time to actually apply for something, they're going to know you. And I would say the same range true for this. Yeah. You know, if you're a ride, especially if you're an outstanding ride operator, you know, and you do get rewarded, you get recognized very often in this industry. Um, you know, when, when that position for group sales or something opens up, maybe the director knows your name. You know, maybe they can go to the the rides people or the operations people and you know, what do you think of this person? You know, so that would definitely get your resume in the uh, the maybe pile, <laughs> at least I would say, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, just being involved, you know, it's, if you're wanting a full time job, it's easier to get one if you've been working at a park seasonally. Mm-hmm. And there are not some people who know you, who you are in that uh, than just throwing your name you know, into the bucket with thousands of others who are applying for that same position. And those full-time jobs, you know, there's not a lot of them out there. And when they do become available, uh, there's a lot of interest in them. So you're competing against a lot of people. So to give yourself the best chance, it's always good uh, to be involved with the park, you know, starting out seasonally. And if you can do it, you know, even into your young adult years and that just, you know, along with whatever job you're doing at that time, that's always a good thing too. Yeah, I agree. Um, So besides like the benefits, you know, every park has some sort of benefit. You probably get free Mm -hmm. admission, discounts, bring a friend, whatever. Besides that, what are some of the rewards associated with doing this job? You know, I think it's a fun, it's an ever-changing type of environment, Ryan. Um, It's challenging. You know, you're going to be challenged in this industry. I don't know that, uh, you know, other summer jobs that are out there now are, are going to do that for you. I don't know that they're going to be as fast paced. I don't know if they're going to be, uh, you know, changing you know, all the time on the fly like that. I don't know that you're going to get those um, experiences that you need those and learn those uh, essential skills that are going to help you later on down the line, like we talked about earlier, you know, with your communications and interpersonal skills and those kind of things. Um, you know, you, you want a job that's challenges you, you know, and also when you're in this industry, you know, you can tell uh, in your role that, um, you know, you're making people happy. Right. You know, a lot of people, you know, they they save up their money and they, you know, maybe they come from, you know, modest means and this is the biggest day of the year for them and you help them have that best day ever. I mean, there's nothing like that. You know, when you go home and you you know that, you know, that these guests came in with this experience, you know, expectation and you delivered on that experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree, you know, and there's something to be said about being in the business of fun, you know, being in the business of making people happy. Um, there is a certain fulfillment um, aspect to that. And, you know, I think that we have that with this podcast, too. I mean, I don't think that it's a big secret. We're not really making any money on it. But, you know, for the time being, the fact that every once in a while someone's like, hey, listen to the podcast. It was it was fine. You know, I I mean, I. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you know, you love hearing yeah. that and, uh, you know, getting their feedback on it. And, you know, and I like when they're honest about it. They tell us the things that they like about it. They tell us the things they don't like about it. And I think that's good. And again, taking that kind of feedback, uh, like you would get working in, in, in the park, you know, you, you, you take the feedback that you're given and, and you use that to make yourself better. Yeah. It's, it's funny because we, we try to integrate the feedback. We really do. Uh, sometimes you and I get conflicting feedback because for me, I, I remember when we had the first five or six episodes, uh, I was kind of on the fence about pick six. Cause I was thinking like, you know, people, you know, come for the you know, the best possible mobile app or whatever. And Mm -hmm. then we're going on and on about Shanghai Disney or whatever. Um, But I had people like, no, my my favorite part's the pick six. I love hearing you guys talk about the industry and stuff. But then you got feedback that we ramble too much in it. 
<laughs> so yeah, we're always like, all right, we're gonna we, ramble less. You know, we are gonna no, we know ne- we never. Yeah, that, that's less. what they said. Get to the topic, you know. Say your say your you know have your take and move on. That's what they you know was the the recommendation, the feedback that I got, and you know we've kind of <clears throat> merged that all together with what we're taking, and and we you know we get better each and every other podcast that we right. have. Right, and and uh, I think that part of that is uh, being able to find better six picks when mm-hmm. the news is interesting rather than. Uh, like, you know, the way that it works behind the curtain yeah. is, uh, I think you, Don, I think we've pretty much created a trade-off system where, you know, one week I make the format, then the next week you make the format. I think we've just kind of fallen into that because I made this one, but I think you made last week, but nonetheless, we pitched a couple stories, um, you know, for pick six. And basically it's like, here's 10, pick the six that you want to do. Um, it's collaborative, it, collaborative, something I've learned working in the industry that it just can't be what I wanted. You got to be collaborative. You got to work with your team. Right. But, but like, th- th- it's funny because there's some of the things that you sent me just nauseated me like, oh, Tron has an opening date. I am so tired of talking about Tron. So we're not talking about Tron in the pick six, spoiler alert tonight. Um, but with that being said, there is a lot of interesting things in the industry. So definitely stay tuned. Um, so speaking of, you know, the rewards uh, of working in the industry, I was mm-hmm. kind of talking about like fulfillment and stuff, but I, I asked, uh, on Twitter, a theme park employees, what's the most rewarding part of the job besides the company benefits? Um, and at B Schroetz five said, when I worked at Disney, it was free admission and two ninety nine CC's pizza. Um, well, free admission to Disney world is definitely go or Disneyland, whatever you work for. Um, isn't CC's Pete's only five bucks? You got a two dollar discount on it. <laughs> That's still a good deal. <laughs> That's true. Five bucks is five bucks. It's... And then think about it: if you go there five or six days a week, it's not just two dollars. Now all of a sudden it's ten, fifteen dollars uh, that you're saving. That's true. So if you just eat CC's for every meal, then you can absolutely afford that house in Orlando. Yeah, it adds up. It adds up. Um. So you know, moving on. Um, Uh, what are some of the skills, um, like personality traits that full-time like directors and managers are looking for, uh, amongst like seasonal employees, uh, to move them up the chain? Well, I think communication, uh, leadership skills. I think those two come to the forefront there that you're a good communicator. Uh, you know, you've got the leadership skills, uh, you know, you can lead your team, uh, those types of things, you know, right up there. Uh, with that. And I, and I think work ethic, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, willingness to do whatever it takes to get the job done. You're looking at that too, because you're not always going to be, you know, even though you're full time and here's your role, you're going to have to step outside of that role many times during the season and assist another area. So that willingness to do whatever it takes is also, uh, something that, um, you know, it's, it's something that you have to be able to do. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, and, and there, there are different things that, you know, just with age, and what I've seen with different projects and working with different people, um, and probably the best way that was summed up was by, you know, our mutual friend, Bill Mefford. And he told me the life advice he gave me, and this was not long after I met you. So like 50 years ago, and it's always like stuck with me. He said, unsuccessful people sit around and how, how did he phrase it? I'm sorry. He said, unsuccessful people think about why they can't be successful, why they can't do what they want to do. Successful people look at the situation to figure out a way to be successful, you know, and, and I think that range true. You know, if you, if you're a restaurant manager and it's just like, ah, we're understaffed. So that's why the, you know, the surveys are down and sales are down and, and stuff like that. That's making excuses. That's never going to get any better. 
you know, a successful no, no, manager would either find a way to staff it, find a way to be more efficient, you know, find some other way to innovate. Um, yeah. It, and here's the other thing. So many people talk a good game, uh, but at the end of the day, you are what you do. Mm -hmm. And that shows through also when you're in this industry, you know, again, you can have all the, you know, be the, you know, good talker and talk a good game about here's what you're going to do. Here's how you're going to do it. Uh, but at the end of the day, you are what you do and everyone's going to see the performance. I mean, a lot of it is, um, there's much to be said about the problem solving skills associated with it. I don't think that, uh, I'm, I'm not trying to imply that like a full-time employee is always dealing with disgruntled customers or anything like that. But I think that if you're a line level employee and you're very good at diffusing situations and making people walk away happy, that, that shows a lot of problem solving skills, you know, it does. It does. And, and that would definitely be something that I would be looking for. Yeah. It comes to the forefront about, uh, you know, what, what your skills and abilities are when you're able to do that. Yeah. Well, Don, do you have any final thoughts about, um, breaking into the industry? I think if you want to do it, you've ever thought about it. Now's the time. Like I said earlier, you know, go online, look at the parks in your, you know, your area, your region and see what the opportunities are and take a shot at it. You know, I often think, you know, when I started going to Kings Island a lot in the, in the eighties that I sometimes wonder if I'd have made that turn toward the right and went to human resources instead of staying to my left and going straight to the, uh, the front gate and going in and having a lot of fun that day, you know, would I have done this a lot earlier? Uh, you know, would I've gotten into different roles and different experiences and things. The answer to that's yeah. You know, that, that probably would have happened a lot sooner for me. You know, I always wanted to do this and I did come from outside the industry in terms of, of what, uh, you know, my, my careers and, you know, communications and, you know, PR, social media and that. But at the same time, you know, I look back and I'm thinking, what should, you know, 17, 18, 19 year old Don, what, what, you know, knowing what I know today, what would I have done? And I would have gone to human resources instead of through the front gate and tried to get my uh, foot in the door a lot earlier. Do you mind if I play devil's advocate real quick? Yeah. So, yeah. So you talk about like, you know, when you're 18, 19 years old, you could have made that turn and maybe worked up the ladder or whatever. Um, I would have gotten in earlier. Let's okay. You would have gotten in earlier, but you also got like three hockey teams off the ground from the beginning. And well, there's a lot of other experiences too. Exactly. And I think that, you were uh, able to draw from that and create a, you know, quite a significant career over the past, what is it? 15 years or so that you've been there. Um, uh, be drawing on that experience and you would not have had that same experience. Now, for all we know, you could be a regional GM, you know, I mean, I, I don't have a, well, who knows what, but I mean, I probably would not have at that age. I definitely probably would not have been in, in communications and PR and social media. I probably been more of an operations right. type person. Um, but at the same time, you know, having always wanted to work in the industry and now knowing what's the best way to get into the industry, um, that would have been the way to go. You know, I'm just using it as an example. That would have been the way to go, you know, uh, where it would have happened a lot sooner for me. Right. And, and, uh, and I, I don't mean for my comment to be discouraging because obviously you took a path that was parallel, you know, you were in entertainment marketing regardless, you know, with sports oh, yeah. entertainment. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I still got to do what I wanted to do. You know, I mean, it was, uh, um, you know, like I said, working for hockey teams and, um, being able to be in an opportunity where there was a lot less risk if you made mistakes, you know, when, when you're, you're talking about that, uh, opposed to, you know, working at a major park, Correct. you know, yeah. where 
you can experiment a little bit more, find out what works, what doesn't work. So you have all that together. You've made all your mistakes and things. Uh, you know, you've tested the waters, you know, what works, what doesn't work. Uh, and those other, those other fields before you came, you know, before I came into the theme park industry. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, I, I guess I misinterpreted what you were saying as, you know, I, I well, I'm just saying if you're interested, in right. It, well, but, it, but, you know, but I was thinking true. like, you were thinking like, oh, if my career were different and I could have cut out the sports and stuff, but you're right. Like if somebody, if you, if you're, you know, 18 and you're working for, you know, Wendy's or something like that, and you have aspirations in the industry, just do it. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah. I mean, exactly. if you find just out you hate it, it, then you know, you know. <laughs> all right. Well, Don, you know, sometimes the news around here is like drinking out of a fire hose, isn't it? So it that is. brings us to. Oh, we don't have the pick six intro. Forget that. The pick six. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for story numero uno? I think I'm starting off this one. No, no, no. You're leading no, off. Yeah, I am leading off. So let's see what we got. We are traveling from Cincinnati, where we are, down to Orlando, Florida, where we're stopping at Walt Disney World. Um, so it looks like Disney is walking back some of the Bob Chapek uh, things. Uh, it looks like there's going to be some price reductions and some things that really cater towards the annual pass base, such as uh, you don't have to have reservations for park hopping after two o'clock, which I think is awesome. So we knew that Iger would have to go in and make some changes. Did you think it would be this fast? I thought he would be you know, pretty proactive and start making changes after the first year. Now, what this tells me with the price rollbacks on some things and that is the guest, you know, they spoke mm -hmm. and they listened. Right. That's important. They listened to their guests. And I think that's why you're seeing this. So that's what that told me. Well, and it's funny because from an economic standpoint, when you talk about supply and demand, um, the parks were so packed that you had to have reservations. And this is even post-COVID. Uh, so it seems like the last thing they would want to do is lower prices, but here we are. And I guess it comes down to the fact that, um, you know, the last year and a half or so have been really distasteful when it comes to the Walt Disney Corporation. Uh, and it looks like they're, you know, doing what they can to be on the mend. So good for them. All right, Don, let's, where are we going next? We are going to Indianapolis, Indiana. We're going to Indianapolis and this kind of disappoints me a bit because being a big carousel fan, but the Children's Museum of Indianapolis, they're limiting carousel animal rides to guests age 17 and under. Now, this carousel originally operated or opened in 1917. That was what was called White City Amusement Park in Indianapolis, later became uh, Broad Ripple Park. Uh, but who puts an age limit on a carousel? That's some insane. I'm not a huge fan of the... Uh the age limits on ride thing, but I'm not a parent too. Um, I know that the little, like, like the Miller coasters and stuff often have like, you've got to have a kid with you kind of situations where I understand that I don't want my three-year-old riding with like a bunch of 39, almost 40 year old coaster enthusiasts or, or whatever. Um, but a carousel, it, I, I mean, everything is reactionary in nature. So I, I wonder if there was some sort of problem with adults, but a carousel, Exactly. I, I don't get it. And, uh, you know, for me, I hadn't been on that one yet, so I'm not going to get my credit. Yeah. Your carousel credits. That's, uh, yeah, it's important. Where are we going next Don? We are going to, oh, let's follow the chemtrails are behind us. We are going to Las Vegas, Nevada. 
Um, Las Vegas and Texas, actually. And this is the one of the big news of today. Um, so Universal is opening up two new parks, essentially. Uh, the one in Las Vegas is going to be a year-round Horror Nights experience. Uh, the other one in Texas is going to be uh, an, an actual resort just north of Dallas. It's going to have a hotel, a park, and it's going to be more geared towards families and stuff. Now, to be clear, um, they haven't really told, I mean, they told us like what city the Texas one's in and what, like, you know, obviously Las Vegas for the other one. We don't have an opening date. We don't have a lot of details. Um, they also don't really define what a, a family park is because Hagrid's is a family ride and that's pretty extreme. So um, is it a kitty park? I, who knows? But Don, which one of the two are you more excited for? I would say the um, Universal going into Dallas. I think that is a tremendous market uh, to go into. Um, it's enough, depending on how close it is to what they have in, in uh, California and Orlando, but I think it's a good market to get into. Uh, Dallas has always been an entertainment town. Um, even as hot as it gets out there, uh, outdoor entertainment is what that uh, city is all about too. So I think it's a good fit. Yeah, I agree. Um yeah, what's funny though is there's there's a huge history of failed amusement parks in Texas though. If you look at uh, Astro World, uh, and obviously this is not just because people stop showing up. There's always more to the story. But there's Astro World, and then there was like that. Um, was it the Hanna Barbera Land uh, in Houston, mm -hmm. which closed too? So I've always wondered about that because obviously Fiesta Texas has been very successful. Six Flags Over Texas has been very successful, um, but there have been failures there. Uh, with that being said, though, um, Universal has their head screwed on with this stuff. Um, and the you know, I think Dallas is probably a little bit better market, um, you know, for an entertainment uh, venue of this magnitude than Houston would have been, um, you know, back in the day when they had Astroworld and that. Um, it was right there where the Astrodome is. Um, you know, it wasn't it was on the outskirts a little mm -hmm. bit, not the easiest place for a lot of people to get to. You were going to get more locals. You weren't going to get the uh, at that time. You know, Houston wasn't a, a place where a lot of people from out of town went, yeah. you know, unless you wanted to go to Gillies. If you, you know, back in the urban cowboy <laughs> movie days where everybody went there because they had to go to Gillies. And I, I being one of those people at that time. But, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, you look at, uh, you know, like you said, Fiesta's done very well uh, in the San Antonio area. Uh, but I, I think it's a good thing just because of what Dallas is about, you know, um, just that that entertainment mecca like that. The people there, they love to, to be entertained and they like outdoor entertainment, even though it gets hot. It, it does. But uh, so here's some food for thought for you. So in that same market is Six Flags Over Texas. They're in the Dallas Fort Worth market, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it'd be close by to that. But I think you're looking at two different type of of demographics, you know, and, you know, you're talking a thrill seeker kind right. of park, a family kind of park. So I think you would uh, be catering to two different, um, you know, audiences there. You're not going head to head for the same guest. Well, that also comes down to, again, how they define a family park, because if they have, mm -hmm. you know, if it's all about meeting greets with characters and stuff, which was highlighted, and I think it's going to be more about an experience than rides. Um, I, I, I think that the two can exist in the same place at the same time. Uh, but if Universal ever turns a corner of deciding, well, we're going to start putting in roller coasters, they do it better than almost anybody else. And one thing that I have noticed about them, especially in the Orlando region, is they understand when it gets hot. So a lot of stuff's indoors. Disney does it too, you mm -hmm. know. Well, let me ask you this, mm -hmm. Ryan, too. Um, the one 
drawback that I would have on this or negative is when you ask people where they went on vacation, you know, you hear, oh, we went to California. Yeah. Or we went, we went to Orlando. When was the last time someone said, oh, I went to Dallas? You know, they might have gone there for a sporting event or something. When was the last time you went to Dallas on vacation? When was the last time you went to Houston on vacation? You don't hear that, you know, often, if at all. And I think that's the one thing that, um, you know, that that would have going against it. Is it's not the vacation mecca of the world like Orlando and California. I right? completely agree. But that brings up another interesting point. Remember they told us not to ramble about these subjects, but this is just too interesting not to talk about. Okay. So this isn't rambling. This is, this is, this is insight, but let me throw this on the, on the table. The description of the actual park is that it's a regional park. So does that mean that in universal size, they would look at other markets? I mean, Nashville doesn't have a park. That's an entertainment place. People go there on vacation. I mean, that's food for thought because Dallas is a little random. I think, I mean, I mean, you're right. It's, it's big with entertainment and stuff, but I mean, people from Dallas would go to Orlando, you know, so it's, it's very interesting. And it's, what are the next step? If this is really successful, I could see them wanting to plant them in more places. You know, it's probably south of um, the southern part of the United States, just so they can get, you know, that at least that Dollywood-esque season out of it. Either that or they just be year round because they'll accommodate for cold. Um, But Mm -hmm. this, this is extraordinarily interesting. Um, Eh, well, okay, cool. Um, So we were talking about um, Texas. We were actually in Las Vegas because the plane didn't take a layover in Texas. But now we're going to go back to Texas. And this is not as good of news. It's not. uh, In Lubbock, Texas, Joy Land Park. Now, we talked uh, several podcasts ago about uh, a group of investors was going to to purchase this park. uh, But they've backed out. Uh, so the park is going to remain closed for good. Uh, it's a loss for the community. A lot of memories there for the locals who either, uh, you know, work there or just remember, you know, going there, you know, uh, during the summers and just having fun with family and friends. So it's never good to see a park closed. And uh, that's that's uh, the sad news of the week is that the news out of joy. Yeah. So um, I didn't get to research this one as much, but did they announce that the park will be raised or is it just that it's not going to open? Just not going to open. Okay, so there is maybe some small chance that maybe somebody else. Because there's a difference between like, okay, the investors backed out and a real estate development company bought the land, you know? Um, yeah. That is a... Yeah, I haven't heard that yet. Just that the investors backed out. Uh, but it, I would... It's going to be very tough right now because they've been... They would try it for a long time to even find those investors uh, that step forward back when they did back in the fall. Yeah. And it's funny because people really have a problem putting mo- their money where their mouth is in a lot of cases. Um, look at Coney out Lake park. Uh, they owed like a bunch, they had like a tax bill or something. I don't know the whole story, but there was a whole saga for like a half decade, but then, you know, the trustees wanted to buy it, but then they couldn't fund it. And you know, it's easy to spend other people's money, but very unfortunate. I never got, to, did you ever get to go to Joyland park? I never did. Um, I was in the area once back in, I think, 1991 or 92. Uh, just couldn't fit it in at that time. But, uh, you know, like I said, it's it's just sad that, uh, you know, it, it's not the biggest park by any yeah. means, the biggest rides or anything like that. But there are memories there. And, uh, you know, so it's unfortunate when you, when you have these situations. Yeah, I agree. All right. Now that you bummed me out in Texas, let's head back to sunny California. We're going back to Universal because... 
Universal has announced the opening date of uh, Super Nintendo World. Uh, for Hollywood, it's going to be February 17th of 2023, which is about a month and a week from now. Um, it looks like that uh, they're, they have some materials up for the annual pass holders getting a preview and stuff. Um, Don, I tell you what, um, I grew up with Super Mario Brothers. I, I wasted three years of my life playing Mario 3. Uh, still can't beat level seven, you know, to this day. Um, I usually don't really worry about stuff coming to parks that aren't my home park, but I'm super jealous of these annual pass holders that get to check out Super Nintendo World. I think that's so cool. It is, and the initial reviews online from those who have had a chance from like the media and different uh, influencers and that, they got a chance to kind of tour through it. Uh, it's very good. You know, they they were very impressed with it from what I was reading. Uh, the visual, you know, that they had in their mind, uh, you know, was exceeded when they got there and got to walk around. Uh, one of the cool things I heard, you know, or that I read about was that, uh, that one of the restaurants has a hamburger that has the little Super uh, Mario yeah, hat. I saw that on it and that so that was really cool so uh, a lot of cool things and it's good to see that you know sometimes you know these things get hyped as they're they're being announced and being built and uh it doesn't meet people's expectations but it seems like you know across the board uh from you know the reviews that i've been reading is that uh you know everybody walked away very impressed yeah and i think there's something to be said about um some of the mentality um because if you think about the most successful like worlds or lands or areas uh, they're the ones that people would want to visit in real life. I, I would love to go to the Mushroom Kingdom. I, I'm going to get to do that eventually. You know, um, I'm not the biggest Harry Potter fan, but people die to go to Hogwarts. And if I miss, if I messed up and Hogwarts is not what I think it is, then just correct me in the comments. Um, same for uh, like Star Wars, the Galaxy's Edge and all that stuff. People are diehard about Star Wars and they would love to ride on that Millennium Falcon and they get to do that now. Mm -hmm. You know, but I think that on the contrary, you've got like um, the Avatar Land or uh, Pandora at Animal Kingdom, which was very successful. But I don't know of anybody that like aspires like I really wish I could go to Disney World so I can see Pandora for myself. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that part of that is that it's not quite a franchise because for, you know, 15 years, it was only one movie. Um, but very, very exciting news. Uh, I'm really I really want to go there. Yeah, it just looks like one of those things that you're going to really be able to, like, you know, the, the Harry Potter world at uh, the Universal Parks, you're going to be able to really immerse yourself right into it. Yeah, I agree. All right, Don, I hope you packed your coat because we're not going to be in California anymore. We are hopping on a plane and we are heading to everybody's favorite destination, Sandusky, Ohio, which made some changes to the winter chill out program there. So for those of you who don't know, um, Winter chill out is, uh, you know, they, they do a walkthrough for charity, but Don, why don't you explain what a little bit more about winter chill out and what's different this year? Well, due to the popularity of this event, it's raised, you know, thousands of dollars for, um, an organization called a kid again, uh, raises money for, uh, you know, families and children with, uh, the kids have life threatening illnesses. So just a great, great cause that, the, that they have there, but, uh, very popular sold out very quickly. Uh, so they've added a second day. The event this year is going to be February 25th through the 26th. Um, would be guessed they're able this week to fill out an online form. Uh, winners will be selected randomly next week on who's going to be able to attend. So it's one of those things that, uh, you know, the demand, the interest far outweighs the supply 
but if you're interested in going, go online right now, uh, cedarpoint.com website, and fill out that form and uh, take a shot at being able to attend this event. Um, you know, not only do you get to see the park in a way that you never do at any other time, you know, during the winter time there, you get, you know, tours of the maintenance shops, those kind of things. You get to see the rides, a lot of them dismantled out on the midways. Uh, but the main reason you want to go is because of the cause, you know, raising money for kid again families. Yeah, obviously a great cause. Um, I, there's something to be said about seeing a summer destination in the winter. Um, and I, I think that's really cool. I've actually never done winter chill out, but I've done several different events very similar to that. Um, just for me, probably Sandusky is the last place I want to be in January. But, uh, you know, for the people that are diehard, they have a great experience. They also often have the opportunity to buy the next year's merchandise before it goes on sale. I got a friend that is diehard winter chill out, does it every year. Um, and he buys like the new poster or whatever. So that's a really, really cool experience. Um, so Don, um, you know, pick six is obviously six, but we're going to go for a two point conversion real quick. Uh, we're going to touch on two different things because there is a little bit of breaking news that, uh, your wonderful beast roller coaster is now once again, the second longest roller coaster in the world because the ultimate, let me pull up the information. Uh, the roller coaster, the ultimate, uh, at Lightwater Valley is going to be removed. It's in, uh, North Yorkshire, England. Uh, it was built in 1991. Um, they say that it's going to be removed because they are focusing more on, you know, family attractions, kitty stuff, probably maintaining something that long is very expensive if that's going to be their demographic, but congratulations to the beast for, uh, you know, getting bumped up the list a little bit. I guess Steel Dragon 2000 is still the longest, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the Beast is still going to, you know, it's still the world's longest wooden roller coaster and probably always will. Yeah, no one's dumb enough to top that record. But with that being said, I'm so glad they were dumb enough to make that record because what a great ride. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so uh, it's always a bummer when a ride's, uh, you know, a ride's taken out. Uh, I guess, fortunately for me, it's probably a ride that I never would have had the opportunity to ride. But if you're a diehard, then you, my my condolences <laughs> to you because I know that sometimes there's an emotional connection to the ride. Uh, so the, the other side of the two-point conversion, just to touch on, because there isn't a lot of information, is um, Cedar Point did release a video pertaining to Top Thrill Dragster. Uh, it has very little information, uh, but what we do know is that whatever reimagining Top Thrill Dragster, um, and they did not use the phrase Top Thrill Dragster in their social media video, uh, is going to be a 2024 project, which is really not a surprise to anybody. Um I know the the two of us do not have any information on that to share, uh, but Top Toe Dragster is my favorite ride at Cedar Point, and I can't wait to see what they do with it. Same here, and I love the way they just kind of dropped it in their social media channels, and it just kind of took on a life of its own, and now everybody's speculating, and you know, it it did what uh, you know I guess they wanted it to do. Do you know why they picked the date that they did? I don't. Uh, that was the anniversary of when they announced the ride in two thousand three. I okay. wouldn't have known if other people didn't say it, but I know now you do too. <laughs> yeah. I'm so focused on my own things that I have to do, you know, that uh, I haven't had a chance really to look too much into, you know, what the tie-in in that was. Right. Like. <laughs> I, I would great, never put great, that but connection it's a great together. It's, it's a great tie-in. Okay. Love it. So, uh, uh, full disclosure, we're, we decide that we're going to, um, we're both very passionate about, uh, the NFL and, you know, our Bengals. So who day to, uh, to anyone listening, um, kind of done with the theme park stuff. So if you want to stop at this point, completely understand, but we're going to talk a little bit about the playoff picture at this point. 
Um, for those of you who don't know, Don is extraordinarily knowledgeable about the NFL uh, because he's got so much information about roller coasters and football that he in hockey that he barely knows how to drive anymore because you can only fit so much information on that mental hard drive. But uh, we're going to talk about right. a little bit about the um, the the wild card situation here. Um, so, Don, let's talk about your different predictions. Uh, I'm going to stop at the start at the top of the list. Got uh, San Francisco 49ers, Seattle Seahawks. What are your thoughts? I'm going to go with the 49ers, 31 to 20. Uh, they split their season series this year, but uh, I, I can't see the Seahawks getting more than 20 points against the 49ers defense and the, and the 49ers, that system that they have. They've got the undrafted rookie quarterback, uh, Brock Purdy, that came in uh, when Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt. Uh, they didn't miss a beat. Uh, Christian McCaffrey came over in a midseason deal. I mean, they have weapons on offense. Um, you know, Seattle's had a good year, um, but, uh, you know, in this one where it's a winner go home, Seattle's going to go home again, 31 to 20. It's funny because Seattle, I remember for about five years, I was absolutely unstoppable, you know, several different uh, Super Bowl runs and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I was going to pick the 49ers as well. Um, uh, this one should be relatively obvious. Chargers and Jaguars. What are your thoughts on that? I'm going to say Jacksonville stuns really? the Chargers. They win 28 to 27. Uh, Jacksonville's played very, very well the second half of the year. They won the division. They're playing with a lot of confidence. They're playing, I guess, with house money because they've arrived into the playoffs, you know, maybe a year or two ahead of schedule. Mm -hmm. Uh, So playing with that house money always makes you a dangerous team. Uh, I I just like the the, the way they were playing going into the playoffs and the Chargers, um, you know, uh, their coach, (laughs) um, you know, he's, uh, you know, there's a lot of, in-game decisions that uh, you know, always makes you scratch your head. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever you're watching the Chargers play, you know, sometimes going on fourth downs and things when it's, you know, you probably should have punted and those kind of things. So um, I'm going to take Jacksonville, 28 to 26. Well, I was going to take um, the Chargers because obviously the Chargers are a strong team. You make a good case. Uh, very happy for the Jaguars. Uh, I mean, if anything alone, yeah. over the past like 10 years or so, they've had like attendance problems and stuff and a successful team generally draws. Um, cause wasn't that a team that like, there was a rumor they're going to go to London, but like they would never let Tony oh, yeah. Khan do yeah. that. Um, so yeah, I'm going to take the chargers on that one because I'm going to go for easy. Uh, what about dolphins and bills? Dolphins and bills. Uh, now let's start with the dolphins are not going to have to, uh, uh, their quarterback there. He's got the concussion issues, so he's not going to yeah. play. Um, uh, so that's a big time loss for them. Um, Buffalo, one of the top three teams easily, uh, not just in the AFC, but probably the whole NFL. Um, the Dolphins do have weapons. They're going to score some points, um, but I'm going to go uh, Bills uh, 34, Dolphins 20. In this I was one. thinking top of my head. I was thinking uh, Bills when you said 34, I was thinking more like 17 for Dolphins. Uh, yeah. That, uh, yeah. I heard Tua took another hit to the head. Uh, that's scary because yeah. that's three this season. Because remember, he got hit, and then when they played the Bengals, he got hit again, and he almost got. Uh, that was scary too. We've had a lot of really bad yeah. moments this season. Yeah, he's had like three or four. Uh, so two Tuga Viola, the the Dolphins quarterback. I think if I'm him, you know, he's recently married uh, and that kind of thing, young children. I would, um, I would say goodbye to the NFL. I mean, you got to think about your future in that. As much as he want to play football, I think it's more about his. Uh, you know, his health moving forward in that. Um, but if they had him and he was healthy, I think they would give the Bills uh, a run and they could, you know, potentially upset them. But without him, 
um, their offense just isn't uh, it doesn't it doesn't work as well. It doesn't function as well without him, uh, you know, running the offense. So I'm going to say Dolphins, uh, you know, 20 points is about as much as they're going to be able to muster. And I think they're going to get, you know, some of those points, seven of those points, they're going to pick up an interception or something on Josh yeah. Allen. And, uh, but other than that, they're going to have a tough time getting to the end zone with their offense. Well, it seems like um, a lot of the media is like gushing over the Bills. This is before the whole incident last Monday or whatever, but, um, no, I haven't looked at the weather too. That's another thing that if it's, you know, really, really cold and windy or there's, you know, some snow on that on the ground, I mean, that just changes the whole dynamic there because, you know, that impacts the bills as much as much as their opponents in that. So it's very hard to predict, uh, especially in December and January uh, games in Buffalo because the weather plays such a role in that where, you know, people think there's, you know, if the bills lose that it's a big upset, maybe not because the weather had a, had a hand in that. Do you think that there's a factor in, like Miami would is less used to the cold weather. Like, do you, do you think that's a thing? I've always wondered that. I think, you know, that's, that's something that the media likes to talk mm-hmm. about. I, I think the players, a lot of them, they grew up, you know, in these cold weather climates, they played college football in cold weather climates. I don't think it's as big a deal as the, as, as the media likes to make that out to be, you know, when you're out in the field playing football, I mean, it's cold, but it's still football and you just do your thing. You know, you're not really thinking about it as much. Yeah. I've noticed they wear like short sleeves when it's like negative five degrees out and stuff. And, uh, I'm yeah, not so, but I, I don't, I don't, I think that's more of a cold is more of a, of a media thing. Now when it's, they're talking about snow and rain and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's that's going to be a little bit different for you because yeah, Buffalo's going to be more used to playing in snow um, than they are going to be, uh, you know, than, than the Dolphins would be. But um, you know, the Dolphins they still have cold weather games throughout the season. Yeah, well, that that was my thought too, because it's not like the Dolphins live in Miami and only play in Miami. Um, because if anything, they have an indoor practice facility like everybody else. Um, yeah, but they're playing, you know, they got games games against the Jets in New York, uh, you know, so they've got games against, uh, you know, they came to Cincinnati it's a little bit warmer when they came here in October, but other years they've come in in December, mm-hmm. you know, they go to Kansas, they go to all those other places that are cold. Well, let me ask you this, what, what if it's the other way around? What if it's, you know, the Bengals are practicing and stuff and they're playing in the cold, they go down to Miami it's 75 degrees. They're like, well, this is easy. <laughs> I wonder if it actually works I don't to the disadvantage. The same thing. I don't think it's, it's the same thing where I don't think that bothers, you know, anybody when it's warmer. Um, I think the one place where it comes into play the most is going to be Denver because the altitude difference where Denver's used to the altitude and it takes a visiting team time to adjust to that. So I think that's where you would have a, a, a difference for, for a team coming in where it's that much tougher uh, to play with the element just because of the altitude. Yeah. Um, Giants and Vikings. Vikings had a great year, but they go home. I'm going to say the upstart Giants 24, the Vikings 22. I like the way Daniel Jones was playing down the stretch. Uh, their coach, Brian Dable, he's had, uh, you know, really changed the culture there. They can run the ball. They've got a great defensive line. Uh, I don't trust Kirk Cousins in big games, the Vikings quarterback. Mm. So Giants will win 24 to 22. Ooh, that close of a game. That close of a game. Wow. Uh, you, know, you look at the records, not even close. You know, the Vikings had a great season, you know, kind of ran away with their division. Uh, but just the way, you know, again, it's how you're playing, you know, who's playing the best football going into to January. And the Giants have played better football than the Vikings over the last month. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. Ravens and Bengals. We know you're going to pick the Ravens. So, uh, <laughs> all right. Ravens and Bengals. No, I'm going to go, I'm gonna go Bengals 27, uh, the Ravens 13. 
Okay. You know, Lamar Jackson doesn't look like he's gonna gonna play. Um, so it means Tyler Huntley's gonna be the quarterback for Baltimore. Baltimore, you know, they have to be able to run the ball and the Bengals can stop the run. Um, you know, it's gonna be very tough for the Ravens to score. They're averaging under 14 points a game or the five games that Lamar Jackson's been out. Um, you know, I, I think the Bengals, uh, you know, they're, they're ready to roll and uh, they, they're playing great. They won eight in a row to end the season. They got Joe Burrow, mm-hmm. who I think is the best quarterback in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, Bengals win this one 27 to 13. So if Joe Burrow stays healthy, uh, I'm talking like career long, um, mm-hmm. he stays healthy. He maintains you know, within reason of age, uh, the type of play that he's made in the last two years or he's performed in the last two years. Do you think he goes on the Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks, like of all time in the NFL? That's a tough place to be. I mean, there's, um, I think of his era, he would, if you're talking about all time, I mean, that's, there's just so many, you know, out there that you would have to get past and that, you know, we're talking like Johnny Unitas, Joe Montana, you know, Tom Brady, those types. Uh, but during his era, his, whatever his career is, you know, what's 12, 15, 18 years, whatever he plays. Um, I, I think he would be number one uh, or number two at worst. in in that run. Yeah, I, I agree. I just think um, when it comes to Joe Burrow, it's, it's almost kind of limitless as to what he can do. If he stays healthy, uh, he stays focused. He finds ways. He's so smart behind the ball. Like, like I, I noticed that he knew, like they went for it on fourth and he just knew to spike it rather than like take a sack. You know, he, yeah. I mean, he barely didn't get the, you know, the intentional grounding and all that stuff because he was just outside the box, but it was so smart because he knew where to cut his losses. And I think that's a huge decision because yeah, if he was, yeah. he sees the game differently than anybody else out there too. And, um, you know, I was watching NFL Network a few weeks ago and uh, a former wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers who played with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, uh, two really good ones. Uh, they asked him what quarterback, you know, as a wide receiver, would you want, if you could have anybody be your quarterback today, who would you pick? You know, everyone thought he was going to take Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, you know, one of those mm-hmm. guys. And uh, he said Joe Burrow. And he said, because as a receiver, he puts the ball, you know, his pinpoint accuracy spot on all the time, gives you the best chance to make the catch. That's huge hearing it from a guy like that. And, you know, Joe's only in his third year. Normally a lot of quarterbacks, you know, they're still, you know, maybe their first full years of starter or something even at this stage. Um, so, um, you know, where he is now in his third year, it's scary how good this guy's going to be, you know, when, when he, you know, gets a little more experience, three or four more seasons under his belt. I'm so glad we drafted him. Um, I, I just couldn't fathom another quarterback that uh, in the NFL, like if there was a one for one trade, I, I just can't think of anybody. If anything, Burrow is entertaining to watch, you know, from a fan standpoint. Um, but he, he knows how to make the place done and it's, it, or make the place happen. But, um, if you look at it year one, uh, relatively successful towards ACL, you know, so that could have been the end of him. You know, some people are never the yeah, same well, after yeah, that. Yeah. There's quarterbacks out there. You know, there's some that are more mobile. Mm-hmm. Some have a stronger arm, you know, and he, he does and that, but, uh, you know, when you look at the intangibles, the things that matter the most, um, he has that ability to elevate everyone around him. You know, we talked about leadership, Mm -hmm. you know, as a quality earlier in this podcast, but uh, his ability to lead a team, you know, I don't know that there's anyone else in the NFL that's as good a leader as he is right now. And again, he's only in his third year, but uh, you know, he's got tremendous leadership skills. He elevates everyone around him. 
And as long as he's the quarterback, uh, that gives the Bengals a chance in every game that they play, no matter who the opponent. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, it, I hate to bring up this game because it's stricken from the record, but let's be honest, their formidable opponent this year, the game that mattered the most was going to be that Buffalo game for that point. Uh, and he played them like a piano for that half quarter that they had. It doesn't reflect the entire game necessarily, but it showed that he had them dialed in. You know, I knew before the game he was going to, you know, very well because I was watching his warm-up tosses. You know, he's out there like three hours before the game. He's in his, you know, sweats and that just throwing to people on the sides and that. But he was just throwing lasers, you know, spot on, right on the mark to guys along the sideline or in the, wherever he wanted to put the ball. And uh, you know, I, I texted my friend and I said, he's gonna be really on tonight. I mean he's I've not seen it like this ever. And I mean he's good in the warm-ups and stuff, but there was just something about that night that you know, this was going to be a, a special night if that game had gone on, you know, it, it didn't, you know, and we all know right. why it didn't. Um, but, uh, you know, you know, you, you talk about wherever the Bengals have to play in the playoffs. I think that's why they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender, because it doesn't matter whether you're playing at uh, Paycor Stadium, you're playing in Buffalo, you're playing in Kansas City or you're playing in a McDonald's parking lot. Uh, Joe Burrow. uh is going to have his team in position to win the game. He just wants to play, man. He just wants to play. Um, Yeah. You're talking about the laser line shot. You know, what was funny is it made me, you made me think of uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, He was, he was with Miami this year. I know that he's the backup. Yeah. He's played with Miami. Uh, Unfortunately for him, he's, you know, I I liked him when he played at the university of Louisville. I liked him when he first came in with the the Minnesota Vikings, good leadership skills. Um, but he's just not been able to stay healthy. You know, yeah. he's had a lot of injuries that, uh, you know, he kind of wrecked his knee and stuff early on. In yeah. Wasn't career. that pretty much the um, end for him? That was the end of him being a starter. Was not, never the yeah. same, never the same after that. Uh, but, uh, but you know, I always liked Teddy Bridgewater. I did too, but it was, you were talking about throwing lasers. Um, I remember that from when he was at U of L, uh, and I got reminded of it when he took over for, t- um, uh, yeah, Tua, for two yeah. at the, the, uh, the dolphins Bengals game, but he has a, it's a blessing and a curse because he throws directly at the players. With that being said, he does get it to him and he gets to him quickly, but it's probably a challenge to catch when the ball is going for your chest, you know, but he, he, he performed for somebody that came in cold. I think he did rather well, but uh, that's yeah. And you know, when you look at these playoffs too, Ryan, and you know, we're talking about the predictions and things I made and you were a little surprised when I said Jacksonville over, over the chargers and that it's about matchups. Right you know, too, and, and what you do best against uh, what the other team, you know, does best, how you match up there. It comes down to that in these playoff games. And that's why sometimes a team that maybe won nine or 10 games beats a team that won 13 or 14 games during a regular season, because there was just something about it that they didn't match up well. And uh, that gave that uh, team another chance to, to win. I mean, that's why sometimes you see a team win two, two games in a series, uh, you know, in their division, they win both of their games against the first place team, but they don't beat anyone else. You know, again, it comes down to, to the matchups and that. So maybe a team's not good at stopping the run. Um, and that's what the team does best that they're playing in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And they're not able to hang on. So it's, it's um, you know, it's it's a definitely different than just a regular season game. Uh, totally different thing. But it, it really comes down to how you match up. You can, everybody's zero and zero starting this weekend. You know, they're not, whatever you were during the regular season, that's gone. Right. Well, so you're zero and zero. And that's why, like, if the Chargers advance, they're a problem for other people. Yeah. You know, um, 
I think Jacksonville matches up well with them, but I think there's teams that the Chargers, that nobody wants to play them because there's not that matchup because they've got that really good defensive line. Uh, they've got, you know, big, strong receivers. Uh, they got a running back that can catch the ball. Justin Herbert, you know, he can sling it around the field. He's very, very good. Uh, so there's some other teams that the Chargers will be a problem for if they get uh, out of this uh, this, this uh, wild card round. Yeah. So speaking of matchups, um... And, you know, going 500 versus a team that won 13 or more. Uh, Cowboys and Bucks. Cowboys and Bucks, Monday night. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna give Dallas this one. I'm going to say 24 to 20. I don't like the way Dallas, uh, Dak Prescott, uh, their quarterback, he's got, you know, interceptions, I think like seven straight games. Mm. Uh, that's the one thing in the playoffs you, you just can't have is turnovers. Uh, but I just think, you know, Dallas has a really good defense, good pass rush. The Tampa Bay offensive line uh, is very weak this year. Tom Brady, not the most mobile quarterback. Right. He's not going to have a lot of time to throw. Um, but they'll stay in the game because they have Tom Brady. I mean, they'll still be in it toward the end. But I'm going to give the Cowboys uh, uh, the victory here 24 to 20. And that game is in Tampa. Okay, I'm going to go with Cowboys as well, but I'm going to say the spread's bigger. I'm going to say it's more like... 34 to 20, somewhere around there. Um, I think that the psychology behind um, statistically how bad Tom Brady performed this year uh, is going to really affect him. I think that he knows that this is his last season. Uh, and I think that as opposed to uh, kind of like, oh, I'm going to go out on a Super Bowl or whatever, it's going to be like, I can't do this anymore. And um, I think that, you know, being matched up against a team like Dallas, how Dallas has been this year is going to be very difficult for him. I think he can still play, and I think part of his poor performance is because the offensive line isn't very good. You know, we saw that, you know, for a number of years here when Andy Dalton was the Bengals quarterback. He just had no time to throw, and I don't care who you are. Uh, you know, you could have brought Tom Brady in his prime into that situation with the offensive line the Bengals had, you know, a couple of those years that Dalton was the quarterback. He's not going to be able to to be as good just because there's just no time. So I think – uh, that's a big part of it is just that uh, the offensive line hasn't been there for him and they haven't had the running game most of the year. So he can still play. And I think he still will play after this. Year. You really think he'll be back? I do. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't disagree. And I think that you hit the nail on the head with the Andy Dalton thing. Um, I, I think that guy's career was wasted uh, with Cincinnati because he should have been a Super Bowl contender several of the years that he played. He, he got them to, he got them to the playoffs. Um, but there was always something that happened. You know, I mean, the one year they play Houston, uh, all their wide receivers are right. hurt. You know, so he doesn't have uh, Tyler Eifert's out. The wide receivers are hurt. Not a good offensive line. Houston had J.J. J., uh, uh, J. Watt, you know, or J.T. Watt coming at him, you know, just barreling right through there in his face the whole game. So not his fault with that one. There's another game they were playing the Chargers in the playoffs. They're in control. Then there's a fumble, right. you know, midfield. Chargers pick it up, they take the lead, don't get back in it. That's not something that was on the coach. That's not something that was on, you know, the other, it's just part of the game, fumbles, turnovers. Uh, then another year, the Bengals, Dalton was hurt. Uh, A.J. McCarron was the quarterback, I think 2015, but they have the game won. All Jeremy Hill has to do is go down, but he fights for extra yardage, fumbles the ball, Pittsburgh gets it, a couple of undisciplined penalties, puts him in field goal range. They win the game. So there's a lot of years during, you know, when, when Andy Dalton was the Bengals quarterback and Marvin Lewis was the coach, things just didn't go their way. You know, it wasn't that, uh, you know, you can't, everybody blames the coach. Everybody blames the quarterback, but you can't. No, no, I'm not trying to be a Monday morning quarterback. Uh, 
but let me let me let me point this out to you because there is a contrast in what we're talking about. We're talking about how Joe Burrow is successful because he finds ways to win. Andy Dalton couldn't, or he wasn't given the tools necessary to do so. Yeah, I mean, there's a, definitely a different culture uh, between you know, you know who Dalton was surrounded with and and who uh, you know Joe Burrow has around him, and that um, that plays a big part in in you know the success of teams too is is that culture. You you know, talent's not enough. You know, you have to have uh, you know a standard, a high right. standard, and you have to have a, a head coach and coaching staff, you know, and all the different position coaches that are going to hold everybody accountable to that stand. You have to have leaders in the room. They're going to hold everybody accountable. Uh, you know, they have that now. Other teams have that now. Philadelphia has that now. Um, you know, so those are the kind of things that make all the difference in the world is when you have those pieces in place and that sometimes more talented teams aren't going to beat you because, you know, you're better in all those other areas. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to Contra. Obviously, you're around the culture of the Bengals, so you can speak to that more. And it's you're not necessarily in the locker room every day, uh, so it's hard to pin it down. But um, when we talk about contrasting um, Joe Burrow, Andy Dalton, and let's say even Carson Palmer, because I feel like they fall on the same shelf. Because Palmer, when he left the Bengals, was playoff bound. Um, but uh, do you think that the leadership skills that uh, Joe Burrow has been able to, I mean, you mentioned that he's like one of the best leaders in the NFL. Uh, do you think that if Andy Dalton had that kind of charisma would have made much of a difference? Yeah, I mean, it does. I mean, there's other quarterbacks that aren't as skilled as Andy Dalton, but they've had great careers because they're, they're leaders. Phillip Rivers for years who played for the Chargers. One of those guys that, uh, you know, just tremendous leadership skills. So the Chargers were always better than they should have been because of Phillip Rivers. Um, you know, so those things take place. Now, what I like to watch during games too is watch the sidelines sometimes. Watch how what after plays and that, uh, you know, the reaction when guys come back to the sideline. You know, what happens? Are guys in each other's faces? You know, almost getting into fights and stuff and arguments, or are they all supporting each other? Yeah. You know, and and you see a Cincinnati and you see you know a, a Buffalo, you see a Philadelphia where those guys are all playing for each other, and then you see other teams where there's always fighting on the sidelines. Cleveland comes to mind. You know that there's you don't see that camaraderie and everybody, you know, caring for each other. So that has a lot to do with it too. So it starts, you know, at the top with your, your you know, your coaching staff and it goes down in the rooms and then you have your, you know, your position coaches and your, you know, your, you got to have the leaders in the room and all those other kind of things and you have to everybody playing for each other. And it's such a fine line, yeah. you know, uh, and everybody's got the same kind of basic talent in the NFL, but there's such a fine line uh, between that culture and, and having a winning organization or not and it's just having the right guys who you know that they play for each other and you're just as happy if the other guy got the touchdown as if you scored it yourself and you just watch the sideline of games you know just just watch watch on tv this weekend you know watch what happens when uh you know the cowboys go to the sideline or the or the bucks go to the sideline or any of those other teams you know that are in the playoffs and uh you know you'll see which teams have everybody you know on the same page and and caring about each other and supporting each other and not caring who gets the credit. And you'll see teams that, uh, you know, there's a lot of individualists out yeah. there. And, uh, you know, you see that in basketball too, you know, same thing where, um, you know, you got the greatest player, you know, in NBA history and he still plays at a very high level at age 38, LeBron James. Um, but he's not enough for the Lakers to win. So uh, you see that everywhere in sports. Well, I mean, to, to be fair, 
where LeBron James goes, the national championship goes to. Uh, that's very often. Maybe not the Lakers this year, but definitely Miami Heat and uh, you know, no, yeah, Cavaliers back then, yeah, and, yeah, but they had other guys around him, and everybody was on the same page, and uh, you know, it ran through him. But it's still, you know, everybody knew their role, and and everybody cared about one thing: winning. Well, that's one thing that's you different know, right? with basketball, and I don't want to go off on too much of this tangent, but it seems like if you've got one key player, if you've got your Michael Jordan, that can you can build a team around that one person. You you can, but you got to have people that aren't going to be jealous of Michael right. Jordan. That's why I'm saying like it's you the know? clear leader. Uh, the NFL. I mean, if you got a good quarterback, if the, you know, I, it's, I don't, I think like, just like with, the, well, you can't, you cannot win without a good, well, of course one, not, know, but I'm that, saying that, like the intangible stuff, but, um, but you, you know, you got to have some of those, it's, you know, a lot of those guys, they can all throw, they can run, you know, do all those other kind of things, but there's little intangibles, you know, and so it's leadership skills or it's being able to, um, you know, see the game differently, you know, know, know what it's going to look like when you go up to the line, if you're a quarterback and you watched, you know, you really are good at film study and you can tell exactly what's going to happen, what this cornerback's going to do, what that linebacker is going to do. And, you know, you can adjust and change even the play at the line or those kind of things. That's a difference, you know, in, in, in a lot of quarterbacks, what they, you know, can do and what they, you know, they can't do. Uh, they can't get the team in the right play at the line based on what the defense is doing after they read the defense. Right. You know, that's the thing we talked about Andy Dalton. He was very good at that, getting the team in the right play. Um, you know, he doesn't get credit for that, but he was very good at that. Uh, other quarterbacks, not so much, you know, so that's a difference between, uh, you know, again, winning and losing, just getting your team in that right, right play, you know, so, you know, the checkdowns, you know, don't be afraid to just, you know, dump it off to the running back or something. If it's not there, other teams, you know, you have a quarterback that, uh, you know, he tries to just gun it in there, you know, like somebody might be double or triple coverage, but they really love their arm and they think that they can gun it in there and it doesn't work for them, you know, where, uh, you just gotta be smart. And, uh, you know, you see that, uh, with different teams, you know, why some teams win, why some teams lose. Completely agreed. All right. Final prediction. Who's going to the Super Bowl? I'm going to say the Bengals. So I feel really good about them that they can play anywhere. Um, and they're not afraid to play anywhere. Right. And from the NFC, I'm going to go 49. Oh my God. Don't, no, we're not doing that again. <laughs> we're not for those of you who are not from Cincinnati, the Bengals have had three playoff appearances. The last one was last year, but before that, before we had a decade and a half of mediocrity to terribleness, we lost to the 49ers twice in the, uh, in the eighties in the Super Bowl. So that would Bowl. be super ironic. If we came back, especially if we beat them. That'd be awesome. I just think, you know, Philadelphia's had a great year. They have home field. Um, everybody feels good about Philadelphia, but, the 49ers, you know, they're just rolling on all cylinders right now. I think they're just going to be just a little bit too much for Philadelphia by the time it gets to uh, the NFC Championship game. Plus, I think Jalen Hurts, the Eagles quarterback, he's had uh, um, he hurt his shoulder, mm -hmm. you know, missed the last uh, game, didn't look the same. Or not the game before, but then he just played this past weekend, but he didn't look the same. Um, I think that's just going to be enough for the 49ers to, to win. So, um you know, put it down on paper right now that uh, the Attraction Group podcast predicts a Bengals 49ers Super Bowl. Okay, and final score? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, gosh. I'll go uh, Bengals 20, uh, Bengals 24, 49ers 21. That close, huh? It'll be very was close. It, was yeah. it the, the 81 Super Bowl or 89 where the Bengals lost it in the last couple? I was really little back then. 
Uh, not in 81. Well, in 80, 81, they had first down at like the one yard line mm-hmm. and they tried the same play four straight times with Pete Johnson up the middle and he couldn't get in. Oh God. Um, the last one on the fourth one, a wide receiver named David Verser was their first round pick this year, but because of the noise level in the, in the, um, Detroit Superdome, he couldn't hear that Ken Anderson had audible to a different play. Mm-hmm. And who that meant who he was supposed to pick up on a block. He couldn't hear that. So the guy just came right through and just tackled Pete Johnson. Didn't score. Um, so they lost that one. If they scored there, they would have won uh, that one. And then in the, the 1989 Super Bowl, very low scoring game. Um, neither team was on. Yeah. You know, with the, you know, it just wasn't a good day for either team's offense. Uh, not the defenses were playing great, but just not a good good game Bengals take the lead Stanford Jennings uh, takes the second half kick kick off the distance um, the Bengals punt the ball fourth quarter three minutes to go under three minutes and the kickoff returner kind of like fumbled the ball for a minute and then the Bengals have it you know they got to go like 89 90 yards yeah to score uh, Joe Montana comes into the uh, huddle I knew that this is not good because Joe Montana was the comeback king when he, from the time he played at Notre Dame, you know, he was always bringing teams back from like 20 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think the, the legend of Joe Montana was he brought his fifth grade uh, team back, you know, from 20 points down with five minutes to go in recess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so so that, that's the kind of story they were talking about with this guy. So it just, you know, he just, you know, nickel and dimed them all the way down the field. And then with 34 seconds left, you know, they, they get the game winning touchdown, uh, to John Taylor to this day. I have not watched a replay of that game. I have a tape of it, <laughs> but I refuse to watch it. It just, it just, you know, whatever um, with that. But um, I was hoping last year uh, after the Bengals, you know, beat the chiefs that that night, it was the Rams and the 49ers. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping the 49ers would win because uh, you know, I thought third time's a charm. Yep, greatness versus yeah. redemption, right? <laughs> well, that's right. That's right. Uh, but no, I think, I mean, every, there's any of those teams that are in there, you know, can, can win i mean um you know there's there, those teams are all in the playoffs for a right. reason you know and all it takes is you know just a like an injury to somebody or a turnover you know interception a fumble a block kick any pass like interference that. call stupid yeah. nfl rules yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's a yeah exactly exactly i mean it's a different game so um you know officiating becomes a becomes part of the part of the game and it gets harder and harder to do well, I don't think it it's gotten harder to, well, I think it has because the rules have been more complicated, but I think that now that Ryan sitting at home watching the game has access to instant replay, like as somebody is sitting there, even with like a modest knowledge of the deep technical rules, yeah. I can see, no, he was actually in, or but maybe they can't see that, you know? I mean, obviously they have their challenges or whatever, but you don't always yeah. do that. But I mean, but it's a subjective, I mean, on any play in the NFL, just about any play in the NFL, you can call holding alignment. Oh Yeah. You can call holding on a defensive back, you know, or something like that, that they've grabbed a guy coming off the line. I mean, any of the, so basically on every play in the NFL, you can call a penalty for something. So it, uh, it really comes down to that too, the officiating, you know, some, some call didn't go, you know, went against you, pass interference or whatever, and put the team in range to get the field goal that you won by three or yeah. something. So who knows? I mean, it's, it's just so many other things that uh, are involved in just your team itself. So uh, that's the fun about the playoffs too. I mean, it's, you just don't know. I mean, you, you, you basically, you, you, you get into this point, everybody's zero and zero and um, you know, you just, just see what happens. It's not always the the best team or the team with the best record. And 
that's in all different sports. I mean, it happens in hockey. It happens in mm-hmm. basketball. It happens in baseball. Dodgers, you know, win 111 games or whatever. You know, they get knocked out. They don't get to the World Series. So, I mean, it's just something goes. And, and, and when it's one and, you know, win or go home, it's who knows. Exactly. So many elements. But Ryan, this was a fun, uh, fun podcast. Yeah, I was worried and, about uh, filling up an hour. We're at an hour and 20 minutes. So you sure can ramble about them Bengals. Um, yeah, or the NFL. The NFL well, the NFL, that's, that's, yeah. Uh, but obviously, you know, it, um, you know, the passion lies with the Bengals for the most part. But um, yeah, a great conversation. Um, thanks for sticking with us for whoever did for us to talk about the NFL, even if you're not particularly interested in that and you want to hear about roller coasters and stuff. But uh, Don, any final words of advice about the NFL, the, the amusement industry, life in general? You know, I, I think, you know, like we talked about early earlier if you are interested in one day working in the amusement park industry as a career now is the time to go online look at the uh, parks you know that are in your your area and apply uh you know you you can't get the job unless you try so uh and if you're going to interview there's a lot of people that uh, are interested in 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 that same position that you are so you want to bring your a game to the interview you're competing with a lot of other people for that same position. Give it your best shot. And, uh, you know, once you get in, you know, be a sponge, absorb as much information as you can. And, uh, you know, who knows one day you're, uh, you know, a director of a department or, you know, maybe even a GM one day. So, uh, just, uh, you know, just give it a shot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. Um, we're going to have a pretty awesome episode next week too. Not going to say who's going to be on it. Cause for one, we want it to be a surprise. And for two, things change. So I don't want to set expectations. Um, remember to follow us at on Twitter at attractions underscore GRP. Look for us on your favorite podcast apps. Um, I just learned Apple motion. So I've been making these motion graphics for us. So please watch the YouTube. It's pretty cool. I want you to see it, but uh, we'll see you next week, everyone. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>